0: The Greatest Radio Shows of All Time Suspense!
1: The Shadow Node Washington Calling David Harding,
2: spy. Classic Radio Theater
3: The Great Gildersleeve
2: Fibber McGee and Molly
3: Dragnet Gunsmoke The Lone Ranger
2: Now, step
4: back into our time machine with your host, Wyatt Cox
3: Good evening, friends of the inner sanctum
4: Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in an episode of The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes from 76 years ago, April 1st, 1946, and The April Fool's Adventure. And we thank you for joining us on this Friday, first day of April, brand new month, 91st day of the year. We have 274 days remaining until we get to 2023, and this is most notable for being April Fool's Day. Samuel Morey patented the internal combustion engine on this date in 1826. The Wrigley Company founded in Chicago on this date in 1891. Adolf Hitler sentenced to five years in jail on this date in 1924 for his participation in the Beer Hall Push. However, he spent only nine months in jail, during which he wrote the book Mein Kampf. The recently elected Nazis under Julius Streicher on this date in 1933 organized a one-day boycott of all Jewish-owned businesses in Germany, ushering in the series of anti-Semitic acts that will be known as the Holocaust. And uh, on this date in 1945, U.S. troops landed on Okinawa in what would be the last campaign of the war. In 1946, a 7.8-magnitude earthquake near the Aleutian Islands created a tsunami that struck the Hawaiian Islands, killing 159, mostly in Hilo. In 1948, military forces, under direction of the Soviet-controlled government in East Germany, set up a land blockade of West Berlin. In 1954, President Eisenhower authorized the creation of the U.S. Air Force Academy. General Hospital, the soap opera, debuted on this date in 1963. And in 1967, the uh, United States Department of Transportation began operations. President Nixon signed the Public Health Cigarette Smoking Act into law in 1970, requiring Surgeon General's warnings on tobacco products and banning cigarette advertising on TV and radio beginning uh, January 1, 1971. Apple Computer, founded by Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak in 1976 on that same date, Conrail took over operations from six bankrupt railroads in the northeastern U.S. President Jimmy Carter visited the site of Three Mile Island, uh, the nuclear facility, the disaster there in 1979, following the tour spoke to reporters.
5: Primary and overriding overriding concern for all of us is the health And the safety of the people of this entire area as i've said before if we make an error all of us want to err on the side of extra precautions and extra safety
4: president carter said radiation levels near the facility were quite safe but he cautioned that officials there faced critical decisions on how to dissipate a radioactive gas bubble incidentally Though Carter attended nuclear power school in the Navy, his father passed away and the former president resigned his commission prior to the completion of the training. So the mythology that President Carter was a nuclear scientist is false, though he probably had a better understanding than most when it comes to nuclear power. On this date in 1987, President Reagan spoke to members of the College of Physicians in Philadelphia about the threat of AIDS
1: the public health service has issued an information and education plan for the control of aids the federal role must be to give educators accurate information about the disease how that information is used must be up to schools and parents not government but let's be honest with ourselves aids information cannot be what some call value neutral after all when it comes to preventing aids don't medicine and morality teach the same
6: lessons.
4: The president spoke of a number of other issues plaguing medicine and medical costs, including the need for malpractice insurance and tort reforms. Uh, in 2001, an EP-3E U.S. Navy plane collided with a Chinese People's Liberation Army fighter jet.
7: Well, they were intercepted by two People's Republic of China fighter aircraft, There was contact between one of the Chinese aircraft and the EP-3, and that caused uh, enough damage for the U.S. aircraft to issue a mayday signal. And they diverted to the Hainan Island in PRC.
4: Now, the Navy crew made an emergency landing in the People's Republic of China and was detained until a statement was delivered by the U.S. government regarding the incident. The exact phrasing of the document was intentionally ambiguous and it allowed both countries to save face while diffusing a potentially volatile situation between militarily strong regional states. And in 2004, retired truck driver J.R. Triplett, claimed a $239 million Mega Millions lottery prize. He told reporters about checking the numbers.
8: I said, sweetheart,
9: we've got that number. And she kind of broke down and cut down hey,
10: on her knees and said a little prayer, thank the Lord. Sadied.
4: And while Triplett said the prize was no big deal and he'd spend the money wisely, his wife Peggy told reporters she was going to shop till she dropped. Passing away on this date in history, composer Scott Joplin, who uh, probably was best known for his uh, earlier The Maple Leaf Rag, probably his best known work, although he became better known for The Entertainer, which Marvin Hamlish played in the motion picture The Sting. Yeah. This is also passing on this date in history, singer Marvin Gaye. Jim Jordan, Fibber McGee, passing away on this date in 1988. John Forsythe, uh, who was a bachelor's father in uh, the early television, but in later television, known as The Voice in Charlie's Angels. And the man who was behind Hill Street Blues, L.A. Law, Doogie Hauser M.D., Cop Rock, and NYPD Blue, Stephen Boccio, passing away on this date back in 2018. Now, the happier news, some of the people born on this date in history include Russian composer Sergei Rachmaninoff, actor Lon Chaney Sr., Wallace Berry, another fine actor, From WKRP, the big guy, Gordon Jump, I was happy to have known Gordon when he uh, was working in Topeka, Kansas, at uh, WIBW Television. Uh, Also born on this date, actress Debbie Reynolds, and passing away earlier this year at the age of 92, uh, primarily from the MGM musicals, Jane Powell. Happy birthday number 83 to the star of Love Story with Ryan O'Neill, Allie McGraw, 83 years old today. She was Lana Lang in Superman 3 and Martha Kent on Smallville, Annette O'Toole, 70 years old, third generation professional wrestler Randy Orton. Uh I happened to actually see all three perform in person, uh, but not at the same time. I saw his fa his grandfather, Bob Orton Sr. perform in Kansas City. I saw uh Bob Orton Jr. in the WWE and Randy Orton, forty-two years of age today. He was Jimmy Olsen in Superman Returns, Sam Huntington, forty years old from Saturday Night Live and Mad TV, Taryn Killam is forty. And uh, Hillary Scott of what used to be Lady Antebellum, and now it's Lady A because of, you know. Uh, Hillary Scott, 36, those some of the people who celebrate the first day of April as their birthday, if this is your birthday.
7: Hi, we're the four freshmen, and we just want to say, Happy Birthday to you!
4: And we go back 76 years to April 1st, 1946, Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes and The April Fool's Adventure. I'm Wyatt Cox. Thanks for tuning in to this Friday edition of Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. Sherlock Holmes had a quite a good run in radio, in fact, to this date. Uh, the folks at Imagination Theater are still producing Sherlock Holmes Adventures to this date. But we're going back now, uh, 76 years ago, to April 1st, 1946. Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes and the April Fool's Adventure.
11: Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to listen to Doctor Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Now, I'm certain our good friend Dr. Watson's waiting for us. Let's go in and join him.
7: Ah, oh, there you are, Mr. Bartow. Punctual to the minute, as always.
11: <laughs> well, this is one doctor's appointment I'm eager to keep.
7: <laughs> nice of you to say so, my boy. Draw up your usual chair and make yourself
11: comfortable. Thanks. Well, doctor, today's April the 1st.
7: Did uh, anyone try and play any jokes on you? Yes, <laughs> did, Mr. Bartow, but I'm happy to say that nobody caught me. Uh, not as in the story that I'm going to tell you tonight. When an April Fool's Day prank, certain called a bullseye. I see you have the dispatch box out again, Doctor. Been refreshing your memory? Yes, I have. Uh, tell him. when I tell you the adventure took place in 1881, I think you'll agree that after such a lapse of time, a man can hardly rely on memory alone. 1881.
11: Doctor, tonight's adventure must have been one of the really early ones. Yes,
7: it was indeed. In fact, to be exact, it took place only a little while after Sherlock Holmes and I had first met and had taken up lodging. together.
11: How was the great detective in those early
7: days? A uh, mystery to me, Mr. Bartell. To give you an example, my boy. I'd shared our Baker Street lodgings with him for over a month before I was even certain of his profession, the knowledge of which I learned to my awe and astonishment when our first adventure together took place. Oh, that was the one you called uh, a study in Scarlet, wasn't it, That's Doctor? I right, memory remember you've got study uh, in Scarlet. But even after that adventure, I found myself wondering at times what I had let myself in for, sharing lodgings with such a strange companion. It was in one of those moods of doubt and confusion that my story begins. Late one March evening, I found myself in the neighborhood of Piccadilly Circus. A cold and a steady drizzle of rain had dampened my spirits. I thought, a glass of wine and the sound of music put me in a better mood, and and so, Mr. Bartell, I entered the Criterion restaurant. As I sat with a glass of rare vintage port at my elbow, the orchestra playing a dreamy Strauss waltz in the background, I couldn't help thinking of the last time that I'd been there. It was the night I met a young medical student by the name of Stamford. He was the man who first introduced me to Sherlock Holmes. Suddenly, I felt a clap on my shoulder. I turned, and to my amazement... Once again, young Stamford was standing
11: before Watson. Or should I say, Dr. Watson. How are you, my dear chap? Hello, Stamford. Come and sit down. Thanks. I'm glad to see that you're not holding any grudge against me. Why on earth should I do that? For introducing you to Sherlock Holmes. I've reproached myself ever since. I think he's as mad as a
7: hatter. Not at all. He may be eccentric. In fact, I'll admit that he is eccentric. But he's an extraordinarily interesting fellow. And he'll make a great name for himself as a private detective one of these days. You'll see if I'm not right, Stamford.
11: I saw something about him in the paper the other day. He's
7: like a that was the Larson Gardens Affair, wasn't Yes, it? yes, it was. He's a brilliant man, Stanford. Quite brilliant. Mm. So I must admit he's difficult at times. He works like a fiend as a rule. But occasionally a reaction sets in him for days at a time... He'll lie on our sofa, hardly uttering a word or moving a muscle from morning to night. It's depressing, I must say. I think he takes himself too seriously. Yes, you're right. How would you like to
11: join in a little plot? Plot uh, against home? Yes, yes, just a rag, you know. We thought it'd be rather fun. We? Murphy and I, we were just talking about it. I'll call him over. Murphy? Oh, Murphy, I, I've seen him
7: before somewhere,
11: haven't I? I'm sure you must have done. He's been around at the hospital, and any time you go into the British Museum, you'll find him there. Nice fellow, but dull.
7: Definitely dull. Uh, yes,
11: Stamford. Oh, uh, this is a friend of mine, John Watson. Uh, this is James Murphy. How do you do? I think I've seen you at the hospital.
1: And I know I've seen you, Dr. Watson. Oh,
11: sit down and come and join us, won't you?
1: Oh, thank you very I much.
7: I was just telling Watson about our little plot.
1: Oh, you you, you mean about uh, Sherlock Holmes? Now, now, look
7: here. I'd like you fellows to realize that Holmes is a very good friend of mine. Oh,
1: don't worry, Watson. This is all in good fun.
7: Don't you realize what the date is tomorrow? Oh, first of April, isn't it? Yes, April Fool's Day. Oh, now I see. You're going to play an April Fool's Day joke on, on Holmes. Yes, that's our
1: plan. Well, it's hardly our plan, Scamford. It's really Lady Anne Partington's idea. You see, Holmes was very rude to her when she visited the hospital recently, and she wants to, uh, well, you know, take him down a peg or two. <laughs>
7: sounds innocent enough, but I must say he's inclined to be rather arrogant at times. Well, <laughs> what's, what's the plan? Well,
1: we'll need your help, Watson. You must be careful not to give the joke away. I'll bet you a fiver that Holmes falls for the whole story, hook, line, and sinker. (laughs) Now, here's exactly what we're planning to do. Lady Anne is going to call on Holmes at Baker Street in the morning. Lady Anne, I'm
12: very glad that you called to see me in my professional capacity.
0: Surely, my dear man, you didn't think this was a social call. You were much too rude to me at the hospital the other day for that.
12: That was the point I was trying to make. Uh, please sit down, won't you? Please
7: uh, take this chair, won't you, Lady Anne? by far the most comfortable chair of the room. Oh, thank you,
0: Dr. Watson.
12: <laughs> and now, what can I do to help you?
0: You've heard of the Elphinstone Emerald. Oh,
12: yes, yes, indeed. A magnificent stone of very considerable value. An heirloom in your family, I believe.
0: Yes, Mr. Holmes. I keep it in a wall safe in my bedroom. This morning, when I had occasion to go to the safe... I discovered that the emerald had been stolen.
7: Stolen? Scott, what a shocking business. Of course you want Mr. Holmes to recover it for you.
12: A remarkable deduction, my dear doctor. Uh, Lady Anne, when you opened the safe, did you observe any signs of it having been tampered with?
0: (laughs) I I think it's rather stupid to sit and answer questions here in Baker Street. Uh, Why don't you come over to my house in Cavendish Square and examine the safe for yourself? Uh... You are a detective, aren't you?
12: Uh, Lady Anne, uh, just now you accused me of rudeness. I assure you that mine at least was unintentional. Oh, come, come,
7: come, Holmes. Don't be so touchy.
0: I can promise you a substantial fee, Mr. Holmes.
12: I'm a struggling practitioner and a new profession, eh? My poverty, but not my will, consents.
0: I pay thy poverty and not thy will. (laughs) You see, I can quote my Shakespeare, too, Mr. Holmes. My carriage is waiting, gentlemen. Let's drive over to Cavendish Square at once, shall we? (laughs) This is the wall safe, Mr. Holmes.
12: Not too difficult a safe to crack for an expert. You placed the
7: emerald in it last night, you say?
0: Yes, when I went to bed. And this morning, it had gone.
7: Well, surely, Holmes, this is a good occasion to use that magnifying glass that you're always fitting about. Excellent occasion, my dear doctor. That's why I brought it with me.
12: Uh Uh-huh. That's very interesting. What is it? This safe was opened by an expert. There's no sign of its having been forced. Hello. What
7: have you discovered?
12: There's a peculiar tarnish on the steel knob. It was obviously handled by someone whose fingers are habitually stained with chemicals. Amazing harm. Elementary, my dear doctor. Uh, what does that dolly do? My boudoir. I should like to examine it, if I may. Oh, but
0: of course.
12: Thank you, Lady Anne.
0: Dr. Watson, this is the most beautiful April Fool's Day fraud I've ever played. (laughs) I must
7: say Murphy was right. He has fallen for it. Look, blind and sinker. (laughs) Just the same, I'm beginning to feel guilty. I can't help feeling a a bit disloyal. Oh,
0: (laughs) nonsense. It's all in fun.
7: Are Stamford and Mr. Murphy listening?
0: Yes, they're next door in my drawing Mm room. I'm sure their ears are positively glued to the keyhole. Uh, Well, I do hope Holmes won't be
7: angry with me.
0: Here he comes.
7: Nothing
12: of any interest in there. The windows haven't been tampered with. We may presume, therefore, that the thief did not enter by an okay. upstairs window. Oh, uh, Lady Anne. Yes, Mr. Holmes. This room has not been touched since you discovered your loss.
0: Oh, no. I told the servants to leave it exactly as it was while I came to fetch you.
12: Splendid. Splendid. Deep
0: pile carpet, eh? Could you that up?
7: The thief was a tall man with a long stride. Oh, come, 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 Holmes. I know your methods, but there aren't any footprints on this carpet that, that you can identify. Even with your magnifying glass. Oh, my
12: girl. dear doctor, I've studied many crimes and I've never seen one yet that uh, was committed by a flying creature. As long as a criminal remains on his two legs, there must be some some trifling displacement that can be detected by a keen observer. I assure you that the marks on this carpet indicate that the thief uh, was a tall man with a long stride. Mm-hmm. This is a tobacco ash. Hot tobacco. Jag tobacco that sells at fourpence an ounce.
0: Oh, now, really, Mr. Holmes, how can you possibly identify an individual tobacco? Oh,
12: it's a hobby of mine. In fact, I've even written a monograph on the subject. Now, one more look at the face itself. Hello. What's this part of dust? Here? What? It's rosin. it trace of rosin. Lady Anne, I suggest that you get in touch with Scotland Yard at once. You mean that you've solved it, Holmes? I mean, my dear doctor, that I can give you a reasonably complete picture of the thief, and that picture is so individual that I'd be surprised if it would fit more than one man in London.
0: This is pure magic, Mr. Holmes. Please describe him to me. Uh, Well, he's
12: a tall man. The width of his stride indicates that, and he's thin.
0: Well, what
7: enables
12: you to tell that, Holmes? His footprints have made a remarkably light indentation on the lap of the carpet. Our thief dabbles extensively in chemicals, as indicated by the tarnishing of the... Knob on the safe, and the traces of Rosin would suggest that he plays the violin also. He smokes shag tobacco, has a great practical knowledge of the ways of combination locks, and he's obviously in close contact with the criminal classes.
0: How do you know that, Mr. Holmes?
12: Well, he wouldn't steal a famous stone unless he knew how to dispose of it through some trustworthy fence.
7: Yes, it's a very comprehensive picture, Holmes. I almost feel as if I knew the chap. Thank you, Doctor. I'm sure there's only one man in
12: London, and it shouldn't be hard to trace him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I agree entirely, Mr. Holmes. Dr. Watson, I think the joke has gone far enough. Joke?
7: <laughs> uh, what do you mean? <laughs> You're quite right, Holmes. In think there's only one such man in London? You've just given a perfect description of yourself.
0: <laughs> April Fool. <laughs> Dr. Stamford, Mr. Murphy, you can come in now. April Fool, Holmes. April, April, April
6: <laughs> Fool. April Fool. April <laughs> Fool.
4: From April 1st, 1946, the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. When we continue following these messages, the news from 76 years ago today. Thank you for tuning in to Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. This hour, an episode of The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, as it was originally broadcast on Monday, April 1st, 1946. In the newspapers of that Monday 76 years ago, these were some of the headlines. Republicans searching for a new National Committee chairman were still beating the drums yesterday for Congressman Carol Reese of Tennessee and former Senator John A. Danaher of Connecticut, with the 56-year-old Southerner appearing to have a slight edge. A successor to the retiring Herbert Brownell Jr. of New York will be chosen today in the one-day session of the 106-member committee. At least 11 and possibly 19 police were killed in a burst of pre-election violence in Greece over the weekend, and fighting at the polls accounted for another death. Voting was heavy despite the left-wing EAM's vigorous campaign urging registrants not to cast ballots and returns from 20 Athens polling stations at midnight last night showed the populists far ahead. More than 400,000 United mine workers struck the South coal industry early today, forcing a 26-state shutdown that raised a new threat to reconversion. The nation's steel industry began production curtailments and large-scale layoffs yesterday as the zero-hour approach for the walkout. Spokesmen for the steel industry say that cutbacks will reach 50 percent of normal operations within two days. They contemplate a complete shutdown if the strike lasts more than two weeks. President Truman made no attempt to forestall the walkout. He was said to feel that the Union and operators should continue to strive to resolve their differences through collective bargaining. (laughs) Leaders of a far-flung Nazi conspiracy caught napping in a series of lightning pre-dawn raids yesterday in Frankfurt, Germany, and were yanked from their beds before they could fire a single shot in self-defense. That from U.S. Army counterintelligence officials, Brigadier General Edward L. Seibert, The U.S. intelligence chief said over 200 Nazi suspects, more than 80 percent of those earmarked for arrest in the American occupation zone, had been jailed by noon yesterday. The Soviet Union dramatically expressed its confidence in the United Nations last night by paying in full its $1.7 million contribution to the United Nations' $25 million working capital fund. In the midst of a grave crisis within UNO over the Iranian problem, the Soviet Union became the first of the big five nations to make its full contribution for the work of the organization. A group of war veterans tired of having Mississippi made an international laughing stock yesterday called on fellow Mississippi veterans to defeat Senator Theodore G. Bilbo by uniting behind candidate Nelson Trimble-Levings of Gulfport. George L. Gilbert, who recently married Helen Boynton, the former wife of Marine Corps Ace General Peppy Boynton, was reported in fair condition yesterday, after police said he swallowed a quantity of disinfectant. And Shirley Temple, the most popular little girl in the world, is expecting a baby. Luella Parsons, reporting for the International News Service, says she and her husband, Sergeant John Agar, have made a date with the long-legged bird, according to the excellent information, early in November. And those, some of the day's top news stories, as reported in the newspapers of Monday, April 1st, 1946, on your radio, The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, which continues now on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. Come along here,
0: into the drawing room, everyone. Let us drink a glass of wine to Mr. Holmes, who has so graciously forgiven us for the little trick we played on him. And also to Dr. Stamford, who thought of the whole idea.
7: Uh, no hard feelings, Holmes.
12: Oh, no, Doctor. Well, it was a rather embarrassing experience.
7: <clears throat> Murphy told me about the plan. I, I just couldn't resist joining him. Ah, here you are, Holmes. Here's a drink. Thank you, Stamford.
1: You know Murphy, don't you? Uh... No, I don't think we've met. Oh. How would you do, sir? Uh, How would you do, Holmes? How did you like the little
12: game we played on you? It was rather a salutary experience. I suppose you gave them all the details
7: to build up the picture of me, eh, hey, yes, Doctor? Yes, no, I did, Holmes, and knowing some of your methods, we tried to plant every clue that you'd pick up. <laughs> Very neat job, too, and incidentally, a
12: perfect example of the dangers of deductions based on purely circumstantial evidence. I shall profit from this little lesson.
11: I must say it was worth a fortune in emeralds to see your face, Holmes, when you realized
1: what you'd done.
7: Well, the joke's over now. By the way,
1: where is Lady Anne? I believe she said she was going to fetch the orphanstone emerald. She thought you might be interested in seeing it. She probably feels the
12: sight of it will salve my wounded vanity. (laughs) Oh, here she comes now. Mr.
0: Holmes! Mr. Holmes!
12: It's got... What's wrong? What's happened, Lady Anne?
0: The emerald. It's not where I hid it. This time it's really stolen. (laughs)
11: Dr. Watson's story will continue in just a few seconds.
4: April 1st, 1946, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes on this Friday classic radio theater with Wyatt Cox. On Saturday's Classic Radio Theater, another episode of Pat Novak for Hire, one of Jack Webb's first leading roles in national radio. This was originally broadcast on April 2, 1949, Escape from Prison. A priest puts Pat on the trail of an escaped convict named Joe Feldman. This leads to a slip throat, a dead cop, and a standard frame. That's coming up on Saturday's Classic Radio Theater. But right now, the conclusion of The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Basil Brathbone and Nigel Bruce. If you're wondering why they're so comfortable in these roles, they did play uh Sherlock Holmes and uh, uh, Dr. Watson in 14 films between 1939 and 1946. The conclusion of The April Fool's Adventure, 76 years ago today, April 1st, 1946.
11: <laughs> Dr. Watson, you're... April Fool Day plot kind of backfired on you, didn't it?
4: Yes,
7: Mr. Bartell. It was a perfect example of the... Uh, of the biter bit. <laughs> well, what happened next? I
11: suppose Sherlock Holmes went into action once again.
7: That's yes, Mr. Bartell, and it gladdened my heart to see the change in the fuller. I confess I'd felt rather ashamed of my part in the prank, for I could see that Holmes's pride had been hurt. But now, with the definite crime before him, the difference was amazing. He suddenly became a dynamo, galvanized into action as he stood there, firing questions at the other members. Of... Lady Anne,
12: who beside yourself knew of this fresh hiding
1: place?
11: Both Murphy and I did.
1: Yes. Uh, after we'd left our deliberate clues on the safe, we went with Lady Anne and saw her secrete the emerald in the top drawer of her dressing table.
0: We thought it would be all right there. After all, as soon as the joke was over, I was going to put it back in the safe. Now, I think our wisest
12: plan, before we question the servants, would be for each one of you who were in this April Fool's Day prank to submit to being searched. Holmes, surely you don't suggest that any one of us took the emerald? No, Stamford, I don't. Uh, But if any one of you four are not guilty, this will be a splendid way of proving your
7: innocence. I say, steady, Holmes. You're not suggesting that Lady Anne stole her own emeralds, are you? Are you, Mr.
12: Holmes? I'm suggesting nothing. But I may point out that the recent vogue for the insurance companies has provided another interesting motive for these so-called thefts.
0: I resent your insinuation. It's outrageous. Lady
12: Anne, if I'm to recover your emerald, I must at least consider every possibility. The search is the most immediate practical action. Perhaps you'll retire into the next room when I persuade these gentlemen to submit to being searched.
0: Very well, but but I think you're in danger of making a fool of yourself once again.
12: No, wait, don't don't go, Lady
1: Anne. A search won't be necessary.
7: What do you mean, Murphy?
1: I I must throw myself on your mercy, Lady Anne. I confess that I stole the emerald. Murphy! After you put it in the drawer, Lady Anne, I I slipped back into the room and took it out. Murphy, that's a criminal action. I, I know it, but I'm poor. I need money desperately for my mathematical research. I knew the emerald was priceless, and I... Well, I couldn't resist the temptation to take advantage of a joke. Here, Lady Anne, here's the stone, and please don't prosecute me. Please don't. It'd be my ruin.
12: May I examine the emerald, Lady Anne? Thank you.
0: Well, Mr. Murphy, I won't pretend that I'm not deeply shocked. I must ask you to leave my house.
1: But you won't prosecute me, will you? It was a moment's temptation. No, uh,
0: no, I won't prosecute you. Holmes, what are you doing with the emerald?
12: Well, knowing something of the deceptive ways of thieves, I came on this case fully prepared to test the emerald when I found it. Now, uh, a drop of this acid on this vial, so...
0: Mr. Holmes, what are you doing? You'll injure the stone. Well, no,
12: uh, not if it's a true emerald. huh. look at that.
7: Good Lord! The acid eating to the stone as if it was sugar.
12: Then that means. It means, Lady Anne, that Mister Murphy has just imperilled his honor and his freedom to steal a singularly beautiful fake.
0: Mister Holmes, this joke has turned into a nightmare. Is there no way of recovering my emerald?
12: I hope so, Lady Anne. I've been taking steps in their logical order. The servants have all been questioned. We've searched Mr. Stamford and Mr. Murphy.
11: Yes, most humiliating
1: experience. Made me feel like a criminal. Well, personally, I was only too thankful to submit to a search this time. I knew I had nothing to worry about. You
7: knew yourself, Lady Anne. You, you consented to being searched by the police matron that Holmes sent
0: for? Only because he threatened to send for the police if I didn't. What distasteful though it was, I'd rather endure that than have this story on the front pages of the newspapers. And in spite
11: of all these rather unfriendly proceedings, we've got exactly nowhere as regards finding the emerald.
12: No, Stamford, but we have at least eliminated the possibility that the thief is secreting the jewel on his person. Mm.
7: still somewhere in these two rooms, eh, Holmes?
12: I think so, though there is one remaining possibility. And that is... ...that the fake stone was substituted for the real emerald... ...some time before all of you engineered your April Fool's Day joke.
0: Oh, no, Mr. Holmes, that's not possible. I know it was the genuine emerald I took out of the safe this morning.
12: How can you be sure? The substitute was an excellent imitation. Without a chemical test such as I performed, it would be hard to be certain.
0: I can tell you why I'm certain. Last night, Papa came to dinner and brought a Mr. van der of Amsterdam. He examined the stone... And you'll agree that a jewel expert like that couldn't be fooled. That's
12: true, Lady Anne. And what did you do with the emerald after Mr. van der left?
0: I locked it in my safe and went to bed. Mm-hmm. I didn't unlock the safe again until Dr. Stamford and Mr. Murphy came here this morning.
7: That settles it, then. The real emerald is still hidden somewhere in these two rooms. But where? That's the question.
1: I must say it's completely mystifying.
12: Well, let's go back to what we were all doing at the exact moment you came into the room, Lady Anne, and informed us of the loss of your stone. Mm. Now, we were... Well, we were drinking a toast to you That's and... That's it. Uh, Lady Anne. Hard thinking is, uh... Well, it's thirsty work.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry. Let me get you something. Uh, a glass of port, perhaps. No, us.
12: no, thank you. But I, uh, I observe that you have a remarkably comprehensive assortment of liqueurs I wonder if I might have a glass of creme de mont.
0: Oh, of course. I'll get it for you.
12: Creme de menthe in the middle of the day, home? I knew you were eccentric,
11: but, but this Holmes, really takes...
0: This bottle, it... It clings as I picked it up.
12: I thought it might, Lady Anne.
0: There's something inside. Allow it. me,
12: madam. Thank you. I'm sure you won't mind if I waste this liqueur on the Aspidestra. Oh, no, so. Lady Anne. Uh... Allow me to restore to you the Elphinson Emerald. Great Scott. Amazing. Fantastic. Ingenious. The one safe hiding place in the room. Where could a green gem be more effectively hidden than in a bottle of green liqueur? But
7: who stole it? Who substituted the fake stone?
0: Frankly, I don't care. The gem is restored. That's all that matters. Uh, I prefer not to go to court. Neither you nor I, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, would show up in the best of light. And my father would disapprove of this whole affair, I'm afraid.
12: Just as you wish, Lady Anne. In either case, I shall expect your check for my services in due course. <laughs>
7: Here we are at the Criterion again, Stamford. Won't you come in and join us for lunch? Thanks, Watson, but I'll keep the cabin
11: go on. I actually have a patient this afternoon. A rare and delightful experience for a young doctor, yes, as you indeed. probably know.
12: As rare and delightful as a client is for a young detective, Stamford. Yes. I quite understand, and I'm correspondingly grateful to you for your, your profitable hopes. I'm glad it
11: was profitable for you. Personally, I feel pretty stupid about the whole thing. Well, goodbye. Uh, goodbye, follow fellow. Goodbye. 39 Onslow Square, cabby.
7: You're
1: remarkably quiet, Murphy. Oh, I'm afraid my conscience won't let me do much talking, Doctor. I'm heartily ashamed of myself.
12: Well, thanks for the left. I'll, I'll leave you
7: traps Oh, straight. Johnson, Oh,
12: Johnson, you'll join us for lunch, Murphy. But, uh, No buts about it, I insist. Come on. Well, it's awfully nice
7: of you. Oh, come, 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 Murphy. Any one of us can make a foolish mistake. It's just lucky that you didn't have to pay for yours.
11: Monsieur, wishes it, David. Yes, for three, please. This way, monsieur.
1: Does this, table please you?
12: Excellent, thank you. All
7: right, George, I'm as hungry as a hunter. How about you, Murphy?
1: No, I'm afraid I have very little appetite. This whole case has upset me dreadfully.
12: You mustn't take it so much to heart, Murphy. Uh, By the way, Doctor, I'd like to have your opinion on the case. Who do you think staged the theft of the Emerald today?
7: Perfectly obvious to me. Lady Anne Pilington did it herself to collect the insurance money. If she hadn't, she'd have insisted on your finding the thief. But uh, you needn't worry, old chap. You get your fee all right, I'm sure <laughs> of oh,
12: that. Oh, I'm not worrying about the fee. But I assure you, Lady Anne did not engineer that fraud today. You, you you mean that it was Stanford? <laughs> Tell him who was responsible, my dear Murphy. But how should I know? Oh, oh, come now, Murphy. Let's not fence any longer. You did an excellent job, a superlative job. I was uh, almost sorry to spoil it for you. I don't think I understand you, Holmes. Oh, yes, you do, Murphy. You're a splendid actor, too. I was so deeply touched when you were apparently stolen a fake jewel and... Uh, all the time you knew that the real one was safely hidden in the bottle of Crème de Mont. To be abstracted, that uh, your leisure...
7: <laughs> you scoundrel. Holmes, do you mind telling me what's going on here? I'm completely and absolutely in the dark. Surely it's obvious, my dear doctor.
12: The imitation emerald was a brilliant copy. What makes you so sure of that, my dear Holmes? Because this April Fool's Day hoax was only conceived yesterday, or that is what you wish the others to believe. Such a superb paste gem could not have been made at such short notice. Therefore, it must have been prepared by someone who knew about the hoax before it was arranged. Now, my dear doctor, when Stamford told you about the plan last night, whose idea did he say it was?
7: He told me that it was Lady Anne Partington's plan.
12: Precisely. And yet Lady Anne referred to it today as Stamford's idea. Obviously, you, my dear Murphy, presented the plan to each as the notion of the other, and so only you could have arranged the real theft behind the hoax. I repeat, (laughs) a splendid job. Thank you, Mr. Holmes.
1: May I, uh, may I also compliment you on your cleverness in frustrating my plot?
7: Look here, what is all this? One of you is a criminal, the other is a detective. Yet you're throwing each other compliments as if you were in the same profession. The dividing line between
12: the criminal and the criminal investigator is thinner than you might imagine, my dear doctor.
1: How very true, my dear Holmes. Would you consider coming over to my side of the line? Together we'd make an unbeatable team. Oh,
12: are oh. oh, you flattering me? Nevertheless, I must decline your offer, Mr. Murphy.
1: Oh, a pity. On your side of the line, you'll never be a rich man. By the way, for your edification, my name is not Murphy. Though Stamford insists on thinking it is. Then what is your name, you scoundrel? (laughs) Your friend says the word scoundrel so much better than you, Doctor. Uh, My name? My name is Murphy.
12: Oh, indeed. Uh, Spelled M-U-R-T-R-Y? No.
1: (laughs) Dear me, I have so much trouble with my name... People will either misspell it or mispronounce it. I'm afraid I'll have to begin calling it the way it looks. M-O-R-I-A-R-T-Y.
12: Moriarty. Moriarty. I shall remember that name. I have a feeling we shall meet again.
1: I trust that we shall. You've won the first round, Sherlock Holmes, I admit that. But I believe that a, a return match is indicated.
12: I shall look forward to it, Moriarty. Now, Doctor, I can't stand your bill for Clarence longer. Let's order lunch, shall we?
11: <laughs> Doctor, that was a pretty hectic April Fool's Day.
7: Yes, it was. Uh, I never want to see another one exactly like it. I don't blame you. Uh, before you go, Mr. Bartell, I want to urge our friends to we'll do all they can to save on the use of all wheat and rice products and also fats and oils. There are millions of families literally starving to death in Europe and Asia. We're not being asked to give them our food, but just being asked to take it easy on certain foods so that there will be some left for them to buy. I know there isn't one person listening to me tonight who would knowingly let anyone starve. And remember, unless you do help, thousands of little children will starve. So please, let's share a meal and save a life.
11: Tonight, Sherlock Holmes' adventure was written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, A Study in Scarlet. Music is by Dean Foster. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studio.
4: From 76 years ago, April 1st, 1946, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. Please thank this radio station and support their advertisers. It is their kindness and courtesy that allows us to be with you each and every time we roll around. And don't forget, if you miss a day on this radio station, you don't have to miss a single show. We hope that uh, if you miss the show, you can go to iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Amazon. Just search for Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. That's Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. And by the way, you can visit my webpage here, the show as well. Uh, you can also learn about building a classic radio collection of your own. You can contact me there. Find all of our social media contacts at webpage, classicradio.stream. That's classicradio.stream. Have yourself a great weekend, won't you please? Tell all your friends the great radio shows are right here at this spot on the dial. Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox on your favorite radio station.
0: The Greatest Radio Shows of All Time
3: Suspense! The Shadow Node Washington Calling
12: David Harding,
3: spy.
0: Classic Radio Theater The Great Gildersleeve
1: Fibber McGee and Molly
3: Dragnet Gunsmoke The Lone Ranger
2: Now, step back into our time machine with your host, Wyatt Cox
3: Good evening, friends of the inner sanctum
4: William Bendick stars in The Life of Riley. This episode originally broadcast April 1st, 1949, and it seems Junior is having some problems in school, and Riley is going to try to be the solution. You think? It's new. It's amazing. It's P.R.E.L.L.
8: P-R-E-L-L Prel Shampoo. Yes, Procter & Gamble's new Radiant Cream Shampoo in the Handy Tube. Prell brings you The Life of Riley. Prell, the shampoo that removes unsightly dandruff, leaves hair radiantly lovely, presents The Life of Riley, with William Bendix as Riley. Every father dreams that someday his son will achieve the fame which he himself longed for but never attained. Thus, the scientist dreams his son will be another Einstein. The musician dreams of another Toscanini, the artist of another Rembrandt. And Riley the Riveter. What is his dream for Junior? Well, let's take a peek inside Riley's mind as he lies prone on the living room couch indulging in his favorite daydream. There's a vacant, faraway look in his eyes. In fact, 3,000 miles away in Ebbets Field. He even hears the roar of 50,000 frenzied Brooklyn baseball fans. He can even hear the imaginary voice of an announcer over an imaginary radio.
13: What a ball game this is, folks. The last game of the World Series, the last half of the night. Three nothing in favor of the Yankees. This is the last chance for the Dodgers. Two men out, bases full. Robinson's on first, Edwards on second, and Pee Wee Reese is on third. It's now or never for those fabulous bums. Everything depends on the next batter, and look who's coming up to the plate now. The man who has the chance of a lifetime to carve a niche for himself in baseball's Hall of Fame. And who is he? Chester Riley's son. He's the sensational new rookie who was coached and taught every trick in the game by his father, Chester Riley, who was a baseball immortal. You remember Chester Riley when he pitched for the White Sox in the laundry workers' league. <laughs> and now Chester Riley's son is stepping into the batter's box. Come on, Junior! There's the wind-up. Here comes the pitch. See, right, like one. What's the matter, you blind, you robber? Oh, oh, the crowd didn't like that decision. Someone just threw a pop bottle at the umpire. Here's the wind-up. Here comes the pitch. Oh, Chester Riley's son stepped into that one. A long, hard drive to center field. is going after it, but he can't get in. And Chester Riley's son is rounding first. He's rounding second. He's rounding third. He is junior home yet? Not yet, Peggy, just rounded first. Slide, Junior! <laughs> <and fire! laughs>
14: well, what on earth are you talking about?
4: Oh.
15: Oh, it's you, Peggy
14: what's the matter with you?
15: Nothing. I was just sort of thinking out loud. You know, daydreaming.
14: Oh, is that all you can find to do? Well, you might take a little more interest in what's going on around here. Do you realize it's 8.30 and Junior isn't home yet?
15: Oh, worry about my boy. He's okay. Worry a little more about your daughter, Babs. She's your daughter, too. Yeah, but Babs is your responsibility and Junior is mine. Oh, I never heard of such nonsense. That's a very well-known scientific theory.
14: What theory?
15: Uh, the the theory... Uh, The the theory of relativity. (laughs) The father looks after the boy relatives, and the mother looks after the girl
6: relatives. (laughs) Now,
15: if you want my opinion, you're falling down on your part of the job. Instead of worrying about Junior, worry where Babs is.
14: I know where Babs is. She's over at a girlfriend's house studying.
15: A likely story. If you investigated, you'd find out the so-called house is a Ford convertible on Mulholland Drive.
14: (laughs) And the
15: girlfriend has a crew haircut and a mustache.
14: Well, what's this got
15: to do with Junior? Plenty. Is Junior up on Mulholland Drive with boys? No. Because I'm training him right. I'm looking after his future.
6: Hi, Mother. Hello, Hello,
14: Daddy. Daddy. So,
15: here you are. Where were you?
14: I went for a ride on Mulholland Drive.
15: Don't lie. You were studying with a girlfriend. I mean...
14: (laughs) Well, Well, yes, but afterwards we went for a drive in a car. Oh. Well, now that we've settled with Babs, maybe we can discuss your
15: son. Now, Peg, please don't interfere. The kid's okay. I just want to know where he is. He is where I told him to be, in his room studying.
14: Well, for heaven's sake, why didn't you say so? Are you sure he's studying, Daddy?
15: Sure, I'm sure. I saw to it. Like I said to him, son, I said, I want you to get ahead. And in this world, you can't get nowhere without studying. And I'm the proof of that. (laughs) That scared him.
14: (laughs) If you say
15: he's studying, I guess he is. Oh, you don't
16: believe me. Well, I'll show you. Junior! You want me, Pop? Oh, there he is. Uh, what are you doing, Junior? I'm studying like you told me. Uh, you see what I tell you? Junior <laughs> with a book in his
14: hand. Miracles will never cease. Hmm. Let me see that
16: book, Junior. Yeah, show it
15: to her, Junior. Well, here, Mom.
14: Well, of all the... How to Play Third Base by Pie Trainer. Fine studying Where will this get him?
15: Where will it get him? It'll get him to the Brooklyn Dodgers You'll see I'm gonna make a bum Out of my boy
14: (laughs) Hi Peg, I'm home Well it's about time I've been waiting for you
15: All right, what's the matter?
14: I want you to speak to Junior Sure, hello Junior
15: (laughs) Hello Pop How many hits you get
16: today?
14: Riley, this is serious Your precious son, Junior, brought home a note from his teacher. Now, just listen to this. Uh, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Riley, I regret to advise you that your son, Junior, has not been doing the work of which he is capable. Of late, his work has been
15: decidedly below average. (laughs) Chip off the old block. (laughs)
6: That's just what
15: my teacher used to say about me. Riley, this is serious. Ah, don't get excited, Peg. Junior is still the best third baseman that school ever had. And that's what counts with me. Mm-hmm. I see. Well, all right.
14: Just listen to the rest of her note. Your son's chief interest seems to be baseball. Of course. But unless there is a marked improvement in his work, even though he is the star of the ball team, he will not be eligible to play.
15: What? Not play? Junior, what have you been up to? Why don't you pay attention to your schoolwork? That's a fine boy you have got here.
6: Oh! <laughs> Now he's my boy, huh? Well,
16: I've been paying attention, only we had this algebra exam and I failed. I didn't have time to study for it. Oh, no? Well, I got a few questions to ask. First question, why didn't you have time to study? Because you made me read that book on how to play third base. <laughs>
14: uh,
15: Peg, you got any questions?
14: I told you all this baseball would make him
15: neglect his work. That's got nothing to do with it. Where's your brain, Junior. Can't you pass a simple exam? Well, it was tough. Well, the other kids pass. You're as smart as the next guy, ain't you? Yeah. Well, then copy off of him.
4: <laughs>
16: no, I, I don't mean that. Fine thing kicked off the team. An outlaw. Well, I still have a chance, Pop. My teacher gave me an algebra problem to do at home, and if I get it right, I can play.
15: Yeah, well, you better get it right. You're going to buckle down.
16: Yeah, but, gee, algebra's so tough. Then ask for help.
15: You know, you're not alone in this house. And what does an intelligent person do when he gets stuck? He goes to someone with a little more intelligence and asks
16: for help. Mom, will you help me? (laughs) Why, certainly, Junior. You know, I... Just a minute.
15: (laughs) I didn't mean your mother. She ain't the only one in this house who's got learning, is she? Well, no, but Babs hasn't got time.
6: (laughs) I don't mean
15: Babs, and I don't mean your mother. You've got one guess left. and You better guess Good. (laughs) You, Pop? Well, what's the matter with me? Didn't you ever hear of a father helping his son? Oh, yes, but... Are you but... denying that I'm your father? Peg, tell him!
14: <laughs> <laughs>
15: now, Riley, you're busy.
14: I'll help Junior with No,
15: it. no, that's my responsibility. And please don't interfere.
16: I have made up my head. Well, let's start, Pop. I got a lot of problems tonight. Now, don't rush me, Junior. Got enough clean paper? Yeah, here.
15: Now, the problem wait is... A minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. we got to sharpen the pencil first.
16: Boy, well, it's sharp enough, Pop. Okay, now wet the end. <laughs> okay, Pop.
15: Right, now, let's see the problem. A farmer sells two bushels of apples at X dollars a bushel. The next day, the farmer sells three bushels of tomatoes for one-third the price of the apples. The day after, he sells one-and-a-half bushels of potatoes for four-fifths the price of the tomatoes. With the money he receives He buys three gallons of kerosene And six bags of fertilizer If kerosene sells at a dollar a gallon And fertilizer at four dollars a bag What's the price of The apples?
6: <laughs>
15: Maybe we better
16: sharpen the pencil tomorrow. Pop, you just have to find oh. X. Yeah, X, yeah, sure. Well, let's see. Almark, apples, uh, tomatoes, uh, potatoes, uh, kerosene, and fertilizer. You got the answer, Pop? I don't even get the question.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
16: well, Look, Pop, let's do it this way. Let X equal the... who? I'll get it, I'll get it. Best way to go about
15: this is to imagine that I'm the farmer. Okay, now, I sell two bushels of apples at X dollars a bushel, and the next day I sell three bushels of tomatoes at one-third the price of the apples, and the day after I sell one-and-a-half bushels of potatoes for four-fifths the price of the tomatoes. Now, with the money I receive, I buy three gallons of kerosene and six p- bags of fertilizer, so if 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 I was that farmer, I'd sell that farm in a price of relief. We're coming. We're doing okay, just fine. Let's see, the farmer sells poop bushes and X dollars a bush.
14: Riley, you have to find X. Now, start off this way, see? Let X equal the apples. Hank, I'm way ahead of you. I'm up to the fertilizer.
16: <laughs> Besides, I'm doing this. Riley, don't
14: be so stubborn. Don't you want Junior to be on that baseball team? Don't worry, he'll play, he'll play. Well, then you better let me help you with that problem. The rate you're going, it'll take you all year.
15: I'll do it myself if it takes me 50 years.
14: Oh, great. The John J. Boskowitz junior high school team with a 63-year-old third baseman.
15: <laughs> Peg, will you please leave us concentrate?
14: All right, all right. Have it your way. I'm going to the movie. Good night.
15: Good night. Now, let's get back to that stupid farmer. <laughs> First, we've got to analyze the problem. Oh,
16: uh, Pop, the problem is to find X. I'm getting
15: sick and tired of that X. <laughs> Ever since I was in school, they've been looking for an X. <laughs> if they haven't found it in all this time, how do they expect me to find it in one night?
6: <laughs> well,
15: Pop, that, that's algebra. Algebra. Why do they teach you that stuff for? What good is it, anyway? You don't see no algebra scores in the newspapers, do you? Well, Maybe I'd better get Mom to help me. No, no, this is a father's job. Yeah, but Mom's good at algebra. I don't care. Some things are a father's job and some things are a mother's job. When the time came for you to be born and your mother went to the hospital, did I say let me go in your place? (laughs) No. Well, I don't want your mother taking over my responsibility. Now, don't you worry. I'll get this. Oh,
16: Bob, you can't do it on your fingers.
15: Uh, I guess not. We're dealing with
16: vegetables.
15: (laughs) Trouble is, it's just a lot of words on paper. I don't see the problem. If I could see the problem... Junior. Junior, I got it. I got it. The answer? No, the method. That's the main thing. The method. Once you get the method, the answer comes easy. Well, who are you phoning? Hello? Is this the farmer's market? Oh. I want to place an order. Two bushels of apples, three bushels of tomatoes, a bushel and a half of potatoes, three gallons of kerosene, and six bags of fertilizer.
4: Thank you. April 1st, 1949, The Life of Riley on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. Now on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox, more of William Mendix and The Life of Riley, April 1st, 1949.
8: Before we rejoin Riley, the baseball fan, I'd like a word with you movie fans who want to see a fresh and funny film. Prell Shampoo's Life of Riley show is now an hilarious new motion picture, starring Riley himself, William Bendix. You'll enjoy seeing all the Rileys, plus Jim Gillis, and of course, Digger O'Dell, when the Life of Riley movie plays in your community. And now back to the Life of Riley.
14: Of all the crazy things I ever heard of, just to solve an algebra problem. Twelve dollars.
15: It was worth it. Besides, that stuff won't go to waste.
14: What on earth are we going to do with all those apples?
15: We'll make applesauce. And three bushels of tomatoes. We'll make ketchup. And what about. Don't ask me what we're going to do with that fertilizer. Six bags. We'll mail it to your mother in the Bronx. She's got that geranium in her window box.
14: (laughs) Who ever heard of working out an algebra problem by buying all this stuff?
15: It did the trick, and that's what counts. When Junior shows his teacher, he got the right answer. Are you sure
14: you got the right answer?
15: Sure, I'm sure. I know when I get something right. And if I didn't get that problem right, I'll eat that algebra book. Hello. Oh, there's Junior.
16: Now you'll see. Well, what'd the teacher say? Everything fixed? Yeah, you fixed me good. It was all wrong.
15: Huh? But but it can't be. I'm, I'm positive I... How could it be? How
14: will you have that algebra book with the ketchup or (laughs) applesauce?
15: That means no baseball. How could that teacher do this, Junior? What an ungrateful. After you bought her that whole bushel of apples.
16: Well, she's given me one more chance. The guys in the team asked her to. She gave me some more problems, real hard ones. But if I get them right, I can play. Yeah, well, this time you're going to get them right. I'll see to that.
14: You mean I'll see to it. Now, come on, let's get to work. Now, wait a minute,
16: Peg. I told you this is my... I
14: don't think you should interfere.
16: Who's interfering? Pop, I got to get him right this time. Let Mom help me. No, you'll work him out by yourself. Junior,
15: I've told you a thousand times you've got to learn to stand on your own two feet. You're getting to be a big boy now. Don't go crying to your mother whenever you have a little problem.
16: Well, gee, Pop... Now, you sit
15: right down there, Junior, and get to work on those problems. I'll see that you get quiet so as you can concentrate. Okay. Now, you got everything you need?
16: Yeah, I'm all set.
15: Now, good. Listen, now listen, Peg, I want perfect quiet. Junior's got to concentrate, so I don't want to hear a word out of anybody. Peg, must you click your knitting needles that way? How you doing, Junior? You got the first answer? Well, don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Just keep concentrating. That's the important thing. And concentration. It takes time. Rome wasn't burnt in a day. Just keep plugging away at it. <laughs> you'll get it. You'll get it. Peg, please, I told you those knitting needles. Tone them down. Junior's got to keep his mind on his work. How you doing, Junior? J- just keep at it. Mother, did you? Dad, must you come in a room screaming at the top of your voice like that? Can't you see Junior's trying to concentrate? How can he think if people keep barging in talking at the top of their voice? And Peg, please, I told you twice already, those needles. They're distracting Junior. Can't you get rubber needles? Try not to pay any attention, son. Just keep concentrating. Don't let nothing distract you. <laughs> you got the first one yet? Well, don't worry. You'll get it. Concentration. That's the main thing. I've never seen anything you couldn't lick by concentration. Trouble with most people is that the least little thing distract them. How's it coming? You got it yet? Well, don't get panicky. You'll lick it. Just keep your mind on the subject. I can't you.
16: stand it, How can I think with all this noise. Join your weight,
15: Come back. <laughs> hey, you see, Peg. I told you not to make so much noise with your nip needle. <laughs> Why don't that kid come back? I just can't do these problems. If two men can dig a hole 12 feet long, 4 feet wide, and 8 feet deep in 9 hours. How deep a hole can
10: one man dig? Six feet is deep enough, believe me. (laughs) Oh, it's you. Yes, it is I indeed. Digby O'Dell, the friendly undertaker.
15: (laughs) I didn't hear you come in, digger. I got too much on my mind. All on account of Junior.
10: Ah, yes. Children can be a problem. Only today, a gang of hoodlums pilfered a sign from the baseball stadium and hung it on the door of my business establishment. Ooh, I was beside myself.
15: Oh, uh, why? What did the sign say?
10: Special today, ladies free when accompanied by escort.
6: <laughs> you
15: see, Digger, it's Junior's algebra problems. If he don't do them right, he can't play ball this season.
10: Reminds me of my son, Wood. Woody wanted to be a ball player, too. But the coach never sent him in the game. Finally, I said to him, son, you're spending so much time in the dugout. You might as well come into my business.
15: I don't know what to do. Junior went out. He won't do the problems. I tried, but I don't know how to do them.
10: Maybe you can help me, Digger. Well, I'm pretty good at handling figures, but not that kind. (laughs) Arithmetic is my line, not algebra. Can't you get someone else to help you? Perhaps your dear wife. No, no, I can't go to Peg. This is my job. It's, It's a matter of pride. Oh, Riley, that's no attitude to take. My dear wife always helps me carry my burdens. I couldn't run my business without her help I wouldn't know what's what Or who's where
15: No, I can't admit the peg that I need her help But Hey, I know, you gave me an idea I'll ask Jim Gillis He's good at algebra He'll
10: get me out of this hole In that case, you won't need me Well, cheerio I'd better be shoveling off
15: Hello, Gillis, This is Riley. yeah, yeah, listen, Gillis old pal. I need your help. yeah, you're good at algebra. Well, I got a few problems of juniors that i
13: you will well I'll bring him right over. Boy, that Riley character was very smart when he come to me. The poor dope recognizes superior mental ability. Now let me see. if two men can dig a hole twelve feet long, four feet wide,
15: and eight feet deep, if two men dig a hole. Who knows from
13: digging? I'm a white color worker. <laughs> oh, egg hey, white, my darling son. Yes, Papa? Come here a minute, angel.
16: If two men can dig a hole 12 feet long, 4 feet wide, and 8 feet deep in 9 hours... Gee, this is tough. No wonder Papa couldn't do it. If two men can dig a hole...
4: Oh, Mama, Mama! Oh my gosh, is Egbert going to get his mama to figure it out? April 1st, 1949, The Life of Riley. Thank you for tuning in to Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. That's me, the conclusion next, following these words. Now on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox, the conclusion of The Life of Riley, starring William Bendix from April 1st,
14: 1949. Oh, Egbite, is that you? Yes, Mama. Here are those algebra problems all done. She thinks, Mama.
16: Oh, Papa. Here I am, I boy. Here's the problem. I got them all done.
15: Oh, that's a sweet offspring. <laughs>
13: Oh, really? Here I am, us on the sidewalk. Here's your problems. I got them all done.
16: Oh, thanks a million. You're a pal. Oh, Junior. Junior. Junior, look. The problem. It's no use, Pop. I told you I can't do them. You don't have to. Look, here they are. All done. I just finished the last one. <laughs> why ain't he
15: home yet? What's taking him so long? Well,
14: why are you so nervous? I thought you were certain you got the
15: problems right this time. Well, I got them right, all right. I ain't dumb, you know. I got Junior on that ball team and all by myself, too. And in the future, Peg, you let me handle the boy. That's my <coughs> response.
16: Pop, pop, pop. Junior, you made it. Yeah, the answers were all right. I'm on the team. You hear that, Peg? Yes, I hear. What did
15: I say? Do I know how to look after my boy? Junior, remember who you have to thank for this. Thanks, Bob. You're swell. Yeah, come on. Let's go tell Gillis. I got to thank him. After all, if it hadn't been for him, I'd...
6: <laughs> <laughs>
14: <laughs>
16: Let's forget it. Uh, you'd
15: have, uh, what, dear? Well,
16: Your, d- d- what did Mr. Gillis have to do with it? Well, uh, d- 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 the fact is, you do
15: Well, I may as well tell you I'd like to be honest about these things
16: mm-hmm. and besides,
14: we'd find out anyway
15: Uh, well, you, you see, uh, uh, Gillis helped me with the problems just a little. I didn't have time myself. I... Hey, there's Gillis now out in the yard. i got to thank him. Hey, Gillis. Hi, Riley. Gillis, old pal, I want to thank you for helping me with that out.
13: Oh, don't thank me, Riley. I didn't have the time to do it. You really should thank my
15: egg right here. Egbert? Egbert Dunham? Well, Egbert, I can't tell you how much I appreciate honey, what... you
13: did the credit, Mr.
16: Riley. My mama did him.
15: Honey B, You did him? You worked... Oh, Honey B, I can't thank you enough. Oh, okay
16: me, Riley.
15: I couldn't get nowhere with those problems,
14: so I phoned Peg and she wakes them out.
15: Peg, how many times do I have to tell you that Junior is my responsibility, and from now on...
14: From now on, what?
15: From now on, Junior, if you want help from your father, go to your mother.
8: Folks, uh, usually every week at this portion of our program, we give you a final glimpse into the life of Riley. However, this will not be possible tonight, as Riley isn't doing anything. He's just lying on the living room couch, daydreaming. But if we could peek inside his mind...
13: Good evening, everyone. This is Will Stern, your sports announcer. Tonight, I have a special treat for you. I'd like you to meet the man who single-handed won the World Series for the Brooklyn Dodgers. The sensational third baseman who knocked out four home runs, Junior Riley. Tell me, Junior, who deserves the credit for making you the greatest ball player of all time? My mother. That's
14: a lie! <laughs> what, what's a lie, Riley? Riley, are you daydreaming again? Huh? Oh, uh,
15: yeah, yeah. Uh, and in the future, Peg, please stay out of my daydreams. <laughs>
8: and Gamble, makers of Prell Shampoo, invite you to join us again next week to hear The Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. William Bendix is currently starring in the new motion picture comedy, The Life of Riley. The picture is now showing in 300 cities throughout the country, including Des Moines and Oklahoma City. Tonight's script is by Reuben Shipp, Alan Lipscott, and Dick Powell. Mrs. Riley is Paula Winslow. Digger O'Dell is John Brown. The Life of Riley is produced by Irving Brecker. And remember... To get your rainproof rain scarf from Prell, just send your name and address with 25 cents and any size Prell carton to Prell, Cincinnati, Ohio. Be sure to state your color choice, rose, blue, green, or yellow. Remember, that's Prell, Cincinnati, Ohio. This offer is good in the United States only.
4: And that offer has likely expired since that was from April 1st, 1949. The Life of Riley on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. Now on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox, something we've never done. It is a five-part episode produced by the National Council of Catholic Men, that was produced back in 1942. It's entitled The Living God. This was brought to me by Jerry Hinges, a good radio collector, and uh, William Gargan star. So let's listen to this. April 1st, 1942, The Living God.
5: The Living God. We'll hear William Gargan as the roving announcer, Uno O'Connor as the old woman, and Pedro de Cordoba as the voice of Jesus in the greatest drama of the ages, The Living God. imaginary street corner in the heart of New York City. Our chief character, played by William Gargan, is a roving radio interviewer. How do you do,
17: ladies and gentlemen? My assignment today is to get a sensational story. (laughs) Isn't the latest news sensational enough? Wars, murders, politics. Evidently not, because I've been instructed to find something different, something new. Well, let's see. Suppose I could interview a man who would be in the midst of life and yet above it. But where can I find him? In front of whom can I hold my microphone? The devil? Oh, no thanks. God? Interview God? Not God the Father. Nobody has seen him save Adam and Moses. But the Son. Jesus of Nazareth.
18: And the Word was made
19: flesh and dwelt amongst us.
1: Who said that?
17: Nobody. Oh, maybe it was the child I used to be. The child I remember myself as. And the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. Is he still with us? That's the question. Interview Christ. But how? I've got it. Why not ask a few people here in the street. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? Maybe I'll get some answers which will lead me to him. They'll think I'm crazy, but I'm used to that. Let me see now. Let's get started by asking this woman in mourning. Would you mind stepping up to this microphone? Tell me. Yes? Could you... Could you tell me who Jesus of Nazareth is?
19: Jesus of Nazareth? He is... He is the one who up there will give me back forever, my husband and the child that I have lost. He is the one who gave me strength to bear it all.
17: Thank you. Thank you ever so much. Well, there's a man going in that stage door. He looks like an actor, maybe a great artist. I beg your pardon, sir. Can you tell me... If you want uh, free
7: tickets, go to the management.
17: Oh, no, that isn't what I want. An autographed picture of me? No, no, uh, just a simple question. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus of Nazareth? It's the noblest part anyone could aspire to. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Oh, here comes another man. He looks like a professor. Uh, Pardon me, sir. If you want
20: an interview, would you please be kind enough to choose a better
17: place than the street? Uh, Just a simple question, sir. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? jesus of nazareth
12: he's the only being whose thought
17: makes those who have genius feel like being modest thank you sir oh here comes a priest who will perhaps give us the right answer father uh, father yes i'm in a hurry my friend Uh, what can i do for you who is jesus of nazareth
5: jesus of nazareth eternal life i am bringing him now to a dying person the holy sacrament But if you want to know more, go right across that street. Yes, in that church. Many thanks, Father. Well, let's cross the street
17: and see. I wonder what that big crowd on the steps of the church is all about. An old woman is on the corner selling palms. I'll talk to her.
18: Here. Here. Hurry up, mister. Buy a branch of palms and go in. The blessing is about to begin.
17: What is all this, anyway?
18: It's Palm Sunday. Didn't you know?
17: Oh, I forgot. But what is Palm Sunday?
18: On Palm Sunday, Christ enters Jerusalem in triumph.
17: You mean 19 centuries ago he did?
18: This very day, Christ is still alive.
17: You mean to tell me that Christ is still with us? Where can I find him?
18: In there, in the church. Where else do you think? Go on in and see for yourself. Take this book with you. Follow the guides. John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Without them, you'd be lost. The gospel? No, thank you. What? You're running away? Why? Are you afraid?
17: No. No, it's respect. Oh, here I've asked the greatest question there is in the world. Right in the middle of the street, among traffic noises, among people who don't care. And you want to know if he is
18: still alive? He came upon the earth to live among men in a few days you'll see him jostled by drunks thieves and money lenders are you still hesitating? no no I'll, I'll go in thank you that's right do your best and I'll do mine and if at times during this coming week you hear me beside you don't be startled it will be because I'm praying hard for you and thinking of you
5: Ladies and gentlemen,
17: I am now in the church. I squeezed behind a confessional so I can talk to you in a low tone without disturbing the ceremony. What was that the priest said? Oh, yes, here it is, in the book the little old woman gave me. And when they drew nigh to Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage unto Mount Olivet, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go ye into the village. Ah, those two disciples. They might have been my contact with Jesus of Nazareth. They might have led me to him. Oh, if I'd been in Jerusalem when Pilate was governor of Galilee, I'd... Oh, imagine, thousands of miles and 1900 years, backwards, backwards into the year 33. Oh, to be in Jerusalem on the day when the crowd was shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna, Hosanna. chanting of the choir, this dim light and incense transporting me. Why can't I lift my voice with the others in their hosannas? Why can't I join in the ancient Jerusalem my memory pictures, the throngs as they gather and move about, hear them, see them? Why can't I mingle the present with the past?
5: Priest is saying... Let me see
17: if I remember my Latin. Yes, the children of the Hebrews carrying branches of the olive tree. Why... I can see the children. I can't see the walls of the church anymore. Why? Why, I'm, I'm out of doors. But where? Is this incense or is it is it dust? It's dust. I'm in a street, decorated with palms. They're on the ground, on the sides of the houses, everywhere. The people are wearing robes. Am I in Jerusalem in the year 33? I'll try to find out a little more by asking this old woman in front of me amazing how closely she resembles the palm vendor in front of the church. I beg your pardon?
18: Are you looking for the place where the prophet is going to pass? The prophet? Yes, Jesus of Nazareth. The procession will go right by this door.
17: Jesus of Nazareth? I am in Jerusalem. Ladies and gentlemen, I've just about time to describe my surroundings to you before the procession arrives. It can't be far off or I already hear the cheers. From the top of the slopes of the Cedron, where I am right now, one can look down upon the city and the temple. The sun is shining on the temple and on the rooftops. The people are now strewn the path where Jesus is going to pass with their woolen cloaks. Women and children are waving palms.
5: Check out the procession. There's a the prophet. He's riding on a donkey. Come. I felt the touch
18: of his garment and his smile on me. I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I can't see him yet. Take my place in the front row. Oh, thank you. Now, do you see him?
17: Oh, I do. Oh, word! I have no words to describe him, ladies and gentlemen. Forgive me, but I'm sure some among you have a better picture of him than any I could give you. As he rides by, he is blessing the little children and the sick. I'm going to ask this kind old lady beside me to help me find John and Peter, and especially the mother of Jesus.
18: I haven't yet found his mother. She slips through life with such an ethereal grace that one rarely sees her, but always feels her presence.
17: Jesus has passed. He's going toward the temple. I'm moving along with the crowd. He enters the temple. Now, the crowd is stirring ominously. Outside the temple, there are shouts and tumult. What's this? The, the, the merchants are rushing out of the temple as if in panic, their faces black with fury. Ah, here's my friend, the old woman. Tell me, what is happening? Jesus
18: has driven the merchants and the money changers from the temple, saying, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves.
17: But listen, the crowd is suddenly hushed as if gripped by some strange foreboding. Thunder, did you hear it? The people startled, looked up toward the sky. And now, Jesus is speaking.
5: Father,
1: glorify thy name. I
17: have glorified it, and will glorify it again. Jesus is going to speak again. I'll try to get up closer. Excuse me, please. Oh, here we are. He that believeth in me doth not believe in me, but in him that sent me. And if any man hear my words and keep them not, I do not judge him. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that despiseth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father who sent me. He gave me commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. The things therefore that I speak, even as the Father said unto me, so... Do I speak? The words of Jesus. Now night is falling. Jesus and his disciples are leaving on the road to Bethania. Nobody is left in the street. And yet I I feel as if someone is approaching. Yes, coming towards me is a Galilean woman, half hidden in her veils. I can see that she is beautiful, but of a beauty that is not of this world. Tell me, who is Jesus of Nazareth? Her eyes are filled with tears, and a faint smile is trembling on her lips. No, don't answer me. Don't tell me. Your answer would be so final that there would be no need for me to go on with my radio journey. Oh, sorrowful mother, can you be she of whom the angel said, Hail Mary, full of grace, blessed art thou amongst women,
5: listening to the Living God, presented in cooperation with the National Council of Catholic Men. Heard on today's program were William Gargan as the roving announcer, Luna O'Connor as the old woman, and Pedro de Cordoba as the voice of Jesus. Supporting roles were played by professional Hollywood actors and the radio players of Loyola University of Los Angeles. Special musical scoring and effects by Robert Mitchell and his St. Brendan's Boys Choir, The Living God has been adapted from the French of Sita and Suzanne Millard. This program has been produced under the direction of Martin Work.
4: This show was designed to air on Wednesday, April 1st, 1942, which was a Wednesday, as I said, and uh, the final of the five-part program would air on Easter Sunday, which was April 5th of 1942, and uh, classic radio theater with Wyatt Cox, The Living God. A wonderful program you heard there. Uh, we hope you'll thank this radio station and support their advertisers. It is their kindness and courtesy that allows us to be with you each and every time we roll around. If you miss this show on your favorite station you can find it through iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Overcast, or uh, Amazon if you search for Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox, or you can just go to my webpage, classicradio.stream. There you can stream our shows, learn more about classic radio collecting. Contact me and find all of our social media links, classicradio.stream. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Wyatt Cox. Tell all your friends the great radio shows are right here at this spot on the dial Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox on your favorite station.
0: The greatest radio shows of all time.
3: Suspense! The Shadow Node. Washington calling
12: David Harding,
0: spy. Classic Radio Theater. The Great Gildersleeve.
1: Fibber McGee and Molly.
3: Dragnet. Gunsmoke. The Lone Ranger.
2: Now, step back into our time machine with your host, Wyatt Cox.
3: Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum.
4: An episode of The Weird Circle. Now, this program originally aired April 1st, 1945, A Weird Silversmith and the Goblet.
3: The Weird Circle. In this cave by the restless sea, we are met to call from out the past... Stories strange and weird. Bell keeper, hold the bell, so all may know we are gathered again in the weird circle.
12: Speak again their immortal tale. The goblet.
20: This is an occasion. It calls for wine. Sweet wine to think back, to reflect, to decide. Wine to make a fateful decision. Toast, my silver nemesis. Come, a toast to Francesca who has left me. (laughs) Yes, to Francesca. Why not? Well, little goblet, we're alone, huh? Now we can talk, just you and I, (laughs) huh? They would think me mad if they came upon me now came upon me, His Excellency, Donaldo Rinaldi, governor of this island, talking to a silver goblet.
21: But they do not know that you are
20: really alive, that you have a black heart and a blacker soul. No, they do not know, but I know. Now I must make a decision, my beautiful, glittering friend, whether to keep you forever or destroy you forever whether to go on until death with you or without you. Ah. strange how a sweet wine tastes bitter when taken from your cold embrace, little goblet. I look deep into your silvery mirror and you reflect the things in my mind, little goblet, so that I may see them with my eyes. Recall to me a day long ago.
22: Ronaldo, why are you looking at me like that?
20: Don't you know, Francesca? I, why, I... I love you, Francesca. Donaldo. Yes, I love you. I ask you to be my wife. But
22: I am of humble birth, the daughter of the village doctor. And you, you are His Excellency, the governor.
20: You are a woman and I am a man. And that is all that is important. Will you, Francesca? Will you marry me?
22: Yes, Donaldo. if you want me. I will be your wife. Oh, little
20: goblet. I shall never forget that glorious day. The day before you were created. I was delirious with happiness. I bought Francesca every gift money could buy, fine gowns, a new coach, spirited horses. And I found that Francesca had a passion for things wrought in silver. I found a young silversmith who lived on the island and whose name was Ferdinand, a crafty fellow, He made Francesca a bracelet. It was a rare piece of work, a work of art. And in its graceful lines and smooth luster, there was something else, an indefinable, strange something. When I slipped the bracelet over Francesca's wrist, she was breathless, enchanted. Oh, it's beautiful, Donato. Exquisite. I'm glad you're pleased, Francesca. Shall I bring you other things from the same craftsman? A necklace? Earrings? I did
22: not know that there was a silversmith like this in all of Italy.
20: There may not be, for all I know. I had this made right here on the island.
22: Here? On the island? Donaldo, who is this silversmith?
20: Well, a man named Ferdinand. I found him quite by accident.
22: Ferdinand? Ferdinand.
20: You speak as though the name intrigues you, Francesca. Do you know him?
22: No. No, I've never met him. Face to face. But it's almost as though...
20: As though what, Francesca?
22: I don't know. What I do know is that his work was made just for me. Look at this bracelet, Donaldo. See how it curves over my wrist. Somehow it feels warm there instead of cold. Almost as though it were live flesh instead of metal. Oh,
20: come now, Francesca. You're imagining things.
22: No, no, Donaldo. I'm right. This silver has a strange lifelike quality. When I put my cheek against it, it, it feels like a warm living caress. See? (gasps) Hold your hand to it. Mm
20: Hmm? Mm. It feels like silver to me, my dear. Like cold metal. But if it makes you happy to believe it alive, you shall have your whimsy. Uh, More wine, little goblet. Wine to think, to reflect, to recall. More wine to redden your silvery insides and to warm mine.
6: (sighs) Ah! Mm.
20: it grows more bitter still, this vintage All that you are is bitterness And all that touches you grows bitter But come now, listen to me Where was I? Oh, yes, the bracelet Francesca could not take her eyes off it She wore it constantly Caressed it, touched it tenderly Insisted it had a heart and a soul I was happy I laughed then Ah, if I'd only known. Then came another day. It was a day I thought of happy omen. And did I not have a right to think that?
22: Donaldo, you know, there is something I cannot understand.
20: What is it, my dear?
22: How can this wonderful silversmith of yours, this Ferdinand, capture so much of me in a silver without ever having seen me?
20: He'll see you today, Francesca.
22: Donaldo, what do you mean?
20: He's working on your wedding ring, and today it's ready to be fitted.
22: Oh. So I shall see Ferdinand today.
20: Yes. Is meeting this silversmith so important to you, my dear? I thought it would be the wedding ring that would intrigue
22: you. Oh, yes, yes, Donaldo, of course it is. Forgive me, it's just that I'm glad you commissioned Ferdinand to make it. I love his work so much.
20: Does it matter so much who makes it as long as it binds us together?
22: Of course not. It's just that I thought you might have sent for an elaborate ring in Italy.
20: There isn't enough time. The wedding is too near. Well, my dear, when shall we go down for the fitting?
22: Now, Donaldo. Let us go now.
20: Even then, I must have had some faint premonition of what was to come. But at the time, Francesca's eagerness seemed natural enough. I called for a coach, and we rode down to Ferdinand's shop. A place you'll know well, huh, little gobbler?
21: Francesca, my dear, this is Ferdinand. Signorina, I am honoured.
22: No, it is I who am honoured to meet so great an artist.
21: You are very kind, Signorina.
22: You have great talent, rare talent. The things you have made for me, why, they seem to breathe life.
21: I felt the same life in my fingers when I moulded the silver and shaped it. I made it just for you, Signorina.
20: All this is very well, but it's taking time. Time. What of the ring, Ferdinand? Is it ready? Yes,
21: Signor. Here it is. Oh, it is
20: lovely. It is lovely.
22: Lovely, like all the other things you make.
21: Come, my dear. Let me try it on your finger.
20: Huh. it's a loose fit, Ferdinand.
21: Yes, I regret it, is Signor, and my apologies. This is the first time I have made an error in my knowledge of the lady. Up to now, I have always seemed to know her.
22: Yes, I, I have told His Excellency of this strange feeling of affinity many times.
21: Well, Ferdinand what are we going to do about the ring i shall have to rework it again excellency but that will take time men. the wedding's only three days away have no fear excellency it will be ready for another fitting tomorrow tomorrow i have affairs of state
20: to attend to tomorrow it will be impossible for me to come down why not just measure her finger now and be done
21: with it no excellency there must be another fitting i want this ring to
22: be perfect of course donaldo you can attend to your work tomorrow i'll, I'll come down alone in the carriage It'll only take a few minutes.
20: Oh, very well. But see that the ring fits tomorrow, Ferdinand, or you'll answer to me. How was I to know, little gambler? Hmm? How was I to know that this little silversmith had captured my beloved not only with his work but with himself? Like a fool, I
21: let her go down to his shop alone. It was only later, when it was too late, that I found out what had happened. The ring is ready, signorina. Allow me to put it on your finger.
22: Thank you, Ferdinand. It It seems to fit perfectly.
21: A symbol Mm -hmm. of happiness. Or is it, Signorina? What do you mean? You know what I mean.
22: I'm not sure I do. Ronaldo's a good man. He's rich, handsome, considerate, and, and kind.
21: I did not mention Donaldo's name, Signorina.
22: No. No, but you had it on your mind. There isn't a woman on this island who does not envy me.
21: A woman cannot live on envy, Signorina. She must love and be loved.
22: But Donaldo loves me. That is apparent
21: Yes, but do you love him? Why, I... The truth, signorina. No, never mind. I know the truth. I can see it in your eyes. Now can you see what is in mine? Ferdinand, what... I made things of silver only for you. They called you, did they not, Francesca? They drew you to me. I made them live. I molded them with my heart and soul. When I polished them, I saw your face in the reflection. They were meant for you because I was meant for
22: you. Ferdinand, what are you saying? I'm saying
21: that I love you. And you love me.
22: Ferdinand, I... I...
21: You came to me alone. You can never leave me. We are one together bound by a cord of silver round our hearts. You love me, Francesca. Say it. Say it.
22: Yes. Yes. I love you, Ferdinand.
21: Francesca, my darling. Didn't you know... Did you just discover it?
22: No. No, I... I knew. I must have known.
21: You did know. I sent you the message of my love and the silver I made, and you responded. But
22: it's too late, Ferdinand. I promised Donaldo No,
21: it is not too late. You cannot ruin the rest of your life to keep a promise. Come away with me, Francesca. There's a little inn I know by the sea. We'll find a priest there and be married. When
20: Francesca did not return,
21: I hurried down to the shop...
20: Are you thirsty, little goblin? More wine? Ah. ah. At the shop, a coachman told me he had seen Francesca leave with the silversmith Ferdinand and had overheard their destination. I hurried after them, my brain fevered with a kind of madness and with murder in my heart.
21: I entered the inn and softly opened the door to their room a few inches. They did not hear me. Francesca, my beloved, I have a gift for you.
22: Why, it's a goblet. A silver goblet. Oh, Ferdinand, it's beautiful. Like everything else you make. Alive.
21: Yes. When I made it, I hated it. It was to be my wedding gift to you and to him. But now it is ours, ours. And remember, as long as you have it, I shall have you. It will be a symbol of our love come Francesca while we're waiting for the priest let us make a toast to our future happiness no Francesca don't. put on your cape Francesca I'm taking you home don't go with him Francesca he cannot hold you now you're free of him don't go as for you my little silversmith I'm going to banish you from this island
4: forever oh. From April 1st, 1945, The Weird Circle on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. And you're listening to Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. Well, the Silversmith has been banished from the island. Let's see where this story goes from here. April first, nineteen forty-five, The Weird Circle.
20: You know I'm a good man, my evil little goblet. I thought what I was doing was best for Francesca. I believed she'd get over this foolish infatuation and marry me. You see, I loved her, and after all, I could give her everything she wanted. I kept her in my villa under my housekeeper, Rosa's chaperonage, hoping that she would relent and marry me. I suppose Francesca was, in a sense, a prisoner. I don't know. All I know is that I wanted her more than anything else in the world. And I tried everything. Everything. Francesca! Francesca! Oh, my dear, you need a wrap. You'll catch cold out here on the balcony.
22: Leave me alone, Donaldo.
20: Oh, I see you already have company. That... that goblet. Holding it up to the sun again. Watching it reflect the light. Talking to it. Fondling it.
22: Please, Donaldo.
20: I don't want to discuss it. Perhaps you don't, but I do. When are you going to come to your senses, my dear? People think you're mad each day at sunset, standing on this balcony, holding that accursed silver goblet to the sun till it dazzles the eyes.
22: I did not ask to come here. You've kept me here for
2: two years.
20: Francesca, listen to me. I've got a surprise for you. Rosa?
2: Oh, yes, signorina. Five new gowns all the way from Paris. They are exquisite, the latest mode. The dressmaker is waiting for you now.
20: Well, Francesca? Doesn't that interest you? Don't you care?
22: When will you learn, Donaldo? Your gifts don't interest me. I don't care for your gowns and your jewels.
20: There's only one thing you care about, eh, Francesca? That silversmith Ferdinand.
22: Please go away. Please leave me alone.
20: Francesca, for the love of heaven, will you put that goblet down? Stop holding it in the sun. The reflection's blinding me.
22: It does not blind me, Donaldo. That
20: goblet, always that goblet. Must I compete against a piece of silver? Must it always be between us? Give me that goblet, Francesca. No.
22: No, Donaldo. It is all I have to remind me of.
20: Of Ferdinand? Precisely. Give me that goblet.
22: You'll not take it away.
20: You'll not. If you do, I shall die. On the contrary, my dear, you'll come to your senses again. Now, for the last time. No. No. Very well, then. I shall have to take it by force. Donaldo. Give me that goblet. No. I must be free of it so must you. You recall all this, hmm? my little silver friend? Do I see you grinning at me from your perch there on the table? Well, then I shall drown your grin with more wine. More wine to think, to think. For the time has come, little goblet, when you and I must come to terms one way or the other. Yes. Ah wine ah, still tastes bitter no matter I must live with bitterness forever in any event but recall again what happened I took you away from Francesca and strode down to the rocks and threw you into the Mediterranean as far as I could throw I saw the water carry you out and then with my own eyes saw you sink yes sink and then a week later Someone's at the door, Rose, to see who it is.
2: Yes, Excellency. Good afternoon, Signora. My name is Mario. I am a fisher boy at the village. What do you want? Pardon, Signora, but I must see His Excellency the governor. Go away, boy. His Excellency cannot be disturbed by ragamuffins. But, Signora, I have found something very precious. It is so precious that it could only belong to His Excellency. See? Why, it is the Signorina's goblet. The goblet?
20: Boy, you found the goblet? Yes, Your Excellency. Come here, boy. Come into the room. Now, tell me, where you found this goblet?
2: On the beach near the natto's excellency. I was fishing there when I spied it coming in on the tide. I picked it up and came straight here. Oh, is
20: this a cursed goblet.
2: Always it must come between us.
4: Why? Why? Excellency, Go away now,
2: boy. Go away. Do you hear?
4: Yes, senora. Yes.
2: Oh, excellency, is something wrong.
20: Yes, Rosa. This goblet is wrong. It's a silver incarnation of evil that must be destroyed.
2: Excellency, why did you throw the goblet like that? You broke the lamp. I must destroy this evil thing. Smash it against the wall. Oh, Excellency.
20: Uh, oh, oh, Rose. Rosa, pick up the goblet from the floor.
2: Give it to me. Yes, Excellency. Here it is. No. No. Can it be, I smashed the goblet against the wall. you saw me, Rosa, and yet, look, it is a miracle, Excellency, a miracle! Yes, a devil's miracle. There's not a nick in it, not a
20: scratch, and its surface shines brighter than ever. What could I do, huh, little goblet? What could I do against a
4: power like yours? I thought then of Francesca. This goblet has a lot of power to it. April 1st, 1945, The Goblet, an episode of The Weird Circle. Thank you for tuning in to Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox, that's me. The conclusion of The Weird Circle follows these important words from your favorite station. Now on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox, the conclusion of The Weird Circle, The Goblet, April 1st, 1945.
20: Believe me, I meant to no harm. I'm a good man, really. A good governor, a humane man. And I loved Francesca. I brought the goblet into her. When she saw it, a strange light came into her eye.
22: The goblet. Donaldo, you have brought the goblet back. Yes, my dear. Give it to me. Give it to me, Donaldo.
20: Francesca, please, you're not yourself. Perhaps we'd better place it in the vault until... No,
22: no. I must have it now. Now.
20: Very well, my dear. Francesca, where are you going?
22: Out on the balcony, Donaldo. I want to look at it again. The rays of the sun. There is a light. A light I must see.
20: Again she held you up. The cursed goblet Again came that blinding flash of light When you met the sun I staggered from the room My eyes smarting from the glare Threw myself on my bed Tried to sleep But I could not sleep My eyes were wide open My evil destiny I saw only you Jeering at me, taunting me As you are doing now It was only this morning That Angelo Lanzi, my police chief Came to see me Excellency,
23: I have a report of interest. Well, Lancey, well? That silversmith you banished from the island, he yeah. has come back. Back? Yes. Ferdinand? I believe that was his name. A little man mumbling to himself, always mumbling
20: one word. Goblet. Yes, Excellency, goblet. How did you know? Never mind, never mind. Lancey, where did you see this silversmith? Why, it's very strange, Excellency. He stood
23: on the hill overlooking the customs house and stared at your villa. Yes, Lancy. yes? There was something bright flashing from an upper story. The gleam of metal in the sun, perhaps. The silversmith watched it as though, as though it were some kind of signal. He never took his eyes from it.
2: Excellency! Excellency! Something has happened. Yes, Rosa? Julio, the guard. He has been attacked.
20: It's Ferdinand. He's come for Francesca. The trellis to our balcony. Come with me, Rosa. We must stop
2: them. Yes, Excellency.
20: Francesca! it's I, Donaldo, open the door.
2: Do you hear? Francesca! There is no answer, Excellency. I am afraid.
20: Francesca! In the name of heaven, speak... Rosa, step to one side. I'm going to break
21: down the door. Yes,
2: Excellency. Oh, she has gone, Excellency. See, the French windows to the balcony are open. But she has left the silver goblet on the table.
20: Yes, Rosa. She has left the goblet.
2: Excellency, the goblet. It is a fire from the rays of the sun. <gasps> you oh look. It is a blinding light. A sign from heaven, surely. An evil sign.
20: Yes, Rosa. Shut the windows and draw the blinds.
2: Yes, Excellency.
20: Now leave me, Rosa. Go about your duties.
2: But, Excellency, Leave I... me
20: alone with the goblet. You hear?
2: Yes, Excellency, if this is your wish.
20: Rosa has gone away as I ordered her to and left me alone. <laughs> Francesca is gone my beloved is gone but oh how considerate of her she left me you 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 but are you not a part of her did she not say herself that everything that silversmith made for her became a part of her lived as she did had a soul and life yes goblet you she left me more than she could ever give me when she herself was here (laughs) she left me you
12: from the time-worn pages of the past we have brought you the immortal tale
1: the goblet. keeper, toll the bell. April 1st,
6: 1945.
4: The Weird Circle on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. Now on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox, something a little lighter, an episode of Claudia. This soap opera, originally broadcast and sponsored, by the way, by Coca-Cola, on April 1st, 1948.
3: Your Coca-Cola bottler presents Claudia, based on the play and novels by Rose Franken. Brought to you transcribed Monday through Friday by your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. Relax, and while you're listening, refresh yourself. Have a Coke. And now, Claudia. <laughs> <laughs>
19: Claudia.
9: Yes, Mama, what is it? How do you expect me to measure this skirt with you jiggling all over the living room? Oh, sorry. And please hand me a few more pins from the top of the table.
19: With pleasure. Pins, pins, pins. Nice, shiny pins for the lady in the green hat.
9: How is that? That's fine. Now... If I can just get the back of your hem, even with the front... Mama.
19: No one. I don't see why you have to put the pins in your mouth. Because that's the only way to do this in a hurry. If you got here when you said you were going to, you wouldn't be in such a hurry now. Where were you all day? Tender's you fertile. were supposed to be here at three o'clock and you didn't get here till five.
9: Didn't I? Mama, you don't think you can keep a secret from me, do you? Certainly I can. All I have to do is put the pins back in my mouth and my lips will be permanently sealed. Ha. You went shopping for a present Mm, for me. Mm, Present for you? Yeah. I must say I have better ways of spending my time. But even if you come up with the right answer, I'm not supposed to tell you. There
19: is something then, a surprise, a surprise.
9: I'm surprised? You're so suspicious. Can't I be a few hours late without being subjected to a cross-examination like any old bank robber? I'm going to figure this out very systematically. Now, let's see.
19: It's the first of the month. What always happens on the first of the month? If you only
9: stand still for two minutes, I can have this hymn. Beginning of
19: a new month. Who do you see once a month? Mama, it's Aunt
9: Louisa. What about Aunt Louisa?
19: Where did she come from? Why, she came right in from Long Island on the 1st of April to have lunch with you. Stand still now. Of course. And she shopped in town to get me a present for when the baby's born. Well, if it isn't Detective Lieutenant Norton, then when did you join the force? I've been a member of the force, man and boy, for these 30 years. Oh, no. Aunt Louisa isn't going to give that poor baby one of
9: those soup tureens. You ungrateful child. Isn't it too bad that silver stores won't take things back when they put your monogram oh, on them? Oh, no, they haven't put our monogram
19: on. Mama, we won't even have room for a tureen in the house at Eastbrook. We haven't got a closet big enough. Can't you put it outside the door with potted plants? Potted plants? Mama, you're fooling. Oh, dear. Aunt Louise is so generous, and it is sweet of her to give us a present at all, and they're so expensive. Mm, perhaps she hasn't definitely given the order. Maybe if I call her and just sort of hinted that we never eat soup she wouldn't have the monograms put on mama do i dare
9: her phone number is rockland center 867 and if you let on i said anything to you i'll deny categorically that i ever had a daughter and that her name was claudia i'll be very careful i won't even say you're here hello operator
19: please give me rockland center 867 this is plaza 55597
9: You watch and see how carefully I do this. You're wasting your time just being a prospective mother. You should be at least our ambassador to Moscow. Oh, it's too cold in Moscow.
19: Hello? Hello, Aunt Louisa, this is Claudia. Oh, I'm fine. And how are you? And your asthma? It's a lot better, I'm so glad. For dinner? You'd like us to come for dinner next Wednesday? Claudia, I was only fooling. It's April Fool. April Fool? Oh, no, I wasn't talking to you, Aunt Louisa. Uh, It's awfully sweet of you to ask us for dinner, and we'll be there on Wednesday. I'm so glad your asthma's better. Goodbye. Mama, you
9: ungrateful mother playing a joke like that on your own daughter. In the first place, I didn't play it on you. You insisted on playing it on yourself. And the second place, you'll have a lovely dinner. I'd just forgotten completely that it was April Fool's Day. I wonder if David remembers. I want nothing to do with whatever comes out of that look on your face. I bet he's forgotten all about it, too. Mm, I wish I hadn't reminded you.
19: Yes, you had a wonderful time filling my house with imaginary soup tureens. <laughs> and now you just don't want me to
9: have fun, too. Oh, I don't think David would care very much about soup tureens. What does he care most about? I know. Our house in the country. Claudia, I don't think you'll be able to fool David for a minute.
19: Oh, won't I? I can keep the straightest face you ever saw. Mm.
9: You may be able to keep a straight face, but I never heard
19: of you keeping a secret. Well, I'll keep this one all right. Just long enough. I'll tell David that Mr. Paradiso called, and we won't be able to move into the house on April 15th. When do the new tenants move into this apartment? April 15th, that's the whole point. We won't have anywhere to go, and and I'll get David to start calling up all the
9: hotels to get a reservation. That sounds more like an April Fool's joke on the hotels than it does on David. I
19: love to stay in a
9: hotel. I love to. In a minute, you'll forget this is a joke. Can't you just picture how excited he's
19: going to be when he hears? I can
9: picture it exactly. He'll say, April Fool." (laughs) They won't believe you for a minute (laughs) His nostrils will wiggle and
19: he'll put down his pipe And he'll say all kinds of things about Paradiso And you and I aren't going to open our mouths Until he's made a dozen telephone calls Just one thing,
9: Claudia I'm not a party to this I don't know a thing about it Of
19: course not, neither do I That's the whole point There's David now Quick, start fixing my dress (whistles) Hello, David I wish I could whistle back But Mama has pins in her mouth David, listen. I've got something to tell you before.
23: Darling, before you tell me anything, I've got something important to tell you. You have? Yes. Maybe you'd better sit down, and Mama, take the pins out of your mouth. Hmm.
19: Me sit down?
23: Maybe you'd better, because I'm afraid this is going to be a terrible disappointment to you.
19: Whatever it is, it sounds terrible. Mommy, you better take the pins out of your mouth. Hmm.
23: Now, how can I tell you? Let me see. Darling. Yes? Darling, would you mind having to live in a hotel for a while?
19: In a hotel?
23: No, no, no. Don't say they're expensive, because there are times when you just can't help the expense.
19: David, what are you trying to say?
23: My dear woman, I had a phone call today.
9: Is that unusual?
23: From Eastbrook.
9: That's not unusual.
23: From Paradiso.
9: Paradiso?
23: This was the message. The house will not be ready for us to move into on the 15th of April.
19: The house won't be ready by the... David, did you say that Paradiso said the house wouldn't be ready?
23: Yes. That, my darling, is exactly what I said.
19: That's what I thought you said. Mama, is that what you thought he said? That's what I thought he said.
23: I was right. You are a sport, darling. I I knew... I just knew that you would take it standing up.
19: I'm practically not standing up,
23: darling. It's not so tragic. We'll we'll have a nice vacation in a in a hotel.
19: But I don't want a hotel. I want to move into our house, but, Mama. I had a feeling just before David came when you and I. I I'm putting the pins back in my mouth. You don't have to now. David, when did he call?
23: No. Uh, when did he call? Uh, now. Let me see. And
19: just exactly what did he say?
23: Uh, what did he say? Now, now let me see.
19: Uh, just just how soon after the 15th can we move in?
23: Well, he didn't exactly he say. He didn't
19: say? Oh, no. that's a terrible sign. It probably won't be for weeks.
23: Oh, maybe just a day or two. He
19: ought to pay, David. Paradiso ought to pay for while we're in a hotel.
23: Paradiso? come, darling. It's not the Paradiso.
19: Well, if he doesn't pay, somebody else should should have to pay. Why do we always have to be the ones who pay and pay and pay? Because you're a woman. (laughs) I've half a mind to call that Paradiso and give him a piece of my...
23: The other half of your mind.
19: David, I don't understand you at all. You don't seem to care at all.
23: Well, darling, I'm not going to lose any sleep over
19: Oh, you will, if you have no place to sleep. Remember what happened the last time we tried to get a room in a hotel?
23: I remember. That reminds me. You had better start calling right away and make reservations or else oh, I'm not
9: woman. moving out of my apartment again, thank you.
23: You're welcome. You're
9: right, David. We'll start calling right now.
23: Where's the phone book? In the bedroom. I'll get it. Don't move, darling. I'll, I'll get it.
19: Mama, isn't it terrible? That's what you get for
9: trying to play jokes on people. Oh, that's different with me. It was a joke. With David, it's serious. Oh, it's not that serious, Claudia. You spend a day or two in a hotel, you'll love it.
19: I love it when it's by choice, not by necessity.
23: Well, darling, I I admire your spirit. You do? Mm-hmm.
19: I was just thinking I didn't have any.
23: I behaved much worse about it than you did when I heard about it.
19: Darling, now come to think of it, I'm, I'm not really as upset as I seem. It'll give us more time to move. I can get the furniture arranged before we move in. Mm-hmm. And we won't have to move out of one place and into another all the same day. You know, I'm starting to think it's much better this way. You know, I think
9: so, too.
23: You, uh, you do?
19: Absolutely. I'm really very pleased the way things turned out. And I'm going to call the Slater this minute and get ourselves a reservation. Uh, This minute? We can't waste any time. Well,
23: tomorrow will do.
19: Never put off till tomorrow. What you can do today, I always say.
23: You always say.
19: Always, didn't you know? Now, what's that number? Let's see. Here we are, Murray. Are Dale. you, uh,
23: uh, you sure it's the uh, Slater you want to call? Mm-hmm, yes. I'll, I'll answer.
19: Oh, I'm right here. I've got it. Hello. This is Mrs. Norton. Mr. Paradiso. It's Mr. Paradiso speaking of the devil.
23: Uh, uh, let me uh, uh talk to him, Claudia.
19: Yes, Mr. Paradiso. The house. What? Will... You mean you've got some more news since you called my husband this morning? Uh,
23: <clears throat> I think I'd uh, better talk to him, dear.
19: What? You didn't call this morning. Are you sure this is the first time you're calling you today? You should
23: have let me talk to Claudia,
19: you. I suspect that... Yes, Mr. Uh, Paradiso. Claudia,
23: I, uh... It was all a joke, Claudia.
19: Yes, Mr. Paradiso, not until the 17th or 18th. And you'll let us know.
23: It was just a joke, Claudia.
19: It was a wonderful joke, David. What did you say was the number of the Slater Hotel? Young lady, if you think you can pull my leg, your joke has gone too far. Mama, you're right. It's gone much too far. That was Mr. Paradiso on the phone. And his message was that the furnace will be delayed until the 14th, and we won't be able to move up to the farm until at least three or four days after that. What
23: did you say, Claudia? Three or four days? That's what I said. Are you joking?
19: Do I sound like I was joking? You and your April Fool—fine kind of a joke to play on a person unsuspecting. No, 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 operator. I didn't say April Fool. At, at least I—I I, I said it, but I—I I wasn't talking to you. I want to talk to the room clerk. Yes, I'll wait. Mm-hmm. Dum dum La 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 bum.
3: Many of us have had to deny ourselves certain of the good things of life lately because they've gone up so in price. But there's one thing we can all still enjoy, and that's ice-cold Coca-Cola. Coke was five cents in 1886, and it's still five cents today. Yet it's the self-same, delicious drink it always has been. The drink you relish whenever you want, the pause that refreshes.
9: Well, Mr. King... Claudia and her April fooling should teach somebody a lesson. But oh. I don't know who or what.
3: <laughs> well, the lesson's not important, Mrs. Brown. Just having fun.
9: And I wouldn't take that hotel too seriously. I think they'll be going to the country as planned.
3: Oh, but don't let them think they're the only ones going anyplace. I understand uh, Julia and Hartley are leaving for London tomorrow.
9: So Claudia said. And she and David are seeing them off at the boat. That ought to be exciting.
3: I hope the boat doesn't leave with uh, them on board. I'd certainly miss them. So would I, Mr. King. Well, goodbye. Now, goodbye, Mrs. Brown. And as I was about to say, every day, Monday through Friday, Claudia comes to you transcribed with the best wishes of your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. So listen again tomorrow at the same time. And now this is Joe King saying au revoir. And remember, whoever you are, whatever you do, wherever you may be, when you think of refreshment, think of Coca-Cola. For ice cold Coca-Cola makes any pause, the pause that refreshes. Claudia has come to most of you now for the past six months. We'd welcome any suggestion or anything you may wish to say about our show. Write to Claudia, post office box number 173, Church Street Station, New York 8, New York. Now let me repeat, write to Claudia, post office box number 173, Church Street Station, New York 8, New York.
4: And of course the reason they're asking for letters is to prove that they're listeners to the show. That's a lot of the reek, because ratings, even now, are not very accurate. I know, I shouldn't say that. I'll get this station in trouble. But it's true. It's a, a very, very uh, easy way to find out who was listening. And people would still write back in 1948, which is when this show aired. April 1st, 1948, Claudia, on Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. Please thank this radio station and support their advertisers. It's their kindness and courtesy that allows us to come to you each and every day. We're here on your favorite station. If you miss a day on this station, you don't have to miss a show. You can hear our shows through iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Amazon. Just search for Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox. You can also hear the show through my webpage, ClassicRadio.Stream. That's ClassicRadio.Stream. And please tell all your friends the great radio shows are right here at this spot on the dial. Classic Radio Theater with Wyatt Cox on your favorite radio station.